Good morning, our worship service is beginning. I invite those of you at home to light a candle during the prelude so that we may all share in the light of Christ during this time. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Welcome, uh, if you don't know me, I am Reverend Emily Robnett, the associate pastor here at uh, St. Paul's. So I just wanted to welcome all of you on our live stream and all of you here in the sanctuary. Uh, but let us go to God in prayer. Gracious and heavenly God, we thank you for this community. We thank you for the room to wonder, to ask questions. And we would ask that like Thomas, you would help us and guide us to our answers. Help us to find our faith and the truth of it for ourselves. And speak to our hearts this morning as we meditate on your word and praise your most heavenly name. Your most holy name I pray. Amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons regardless of age, race, income, nationality, life experiences, abilities, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. All are welcome into our family. Yes, no? Yes? Okay. Now I hear it. We pray in many ways, and uh, the prayer on the uh, church sign out front says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And people can see it as a glance and as a prayer as they drive by. But we also bow in prayer and listen to words of others. And we've said those aloud today, this morning. And here are the prayer words uh, of my heart this morning. So let us pray. O Holy One, who makes us one. We are one with all creation this morning. We are one with the refreshing rains and the birds who sing the morning. We are one with the budding and blossoming of Tulsa. And yet we've also been one with the wild winds of Oklahoma and the wild fires of Arizona and New Mexico. We have been one with the slowly melting of the polar ice caps, and we are one with the endangerment of some species. We are one with the pollution of air and sea and soil. We are one with all creation, O Lord. So Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We are one with all humanity those who gave birth this week to healthy babies like my granddaughter, Abigail. Mm. And also, we are one with babies with health issues. We are one with youth who go to proms in this season and celebrate their own friendships and beauty. And we are one with teens who feel unloved and friendless and confused. We are one with those who face illness mental and physical, and their families and friends who struggle to support and love them. We are one with those who are in war-torn countries where danger and death are near and present. We are one with those who flee for refuge 
and those who find refuge even in Tulsa and become our new neighbors. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. We thank you, O Holy One, O Holy Three, for this oneness in you of creation and humanity and divinity. May we pray together again and worship this morning to be strengthened to live in compassion in how we think and speak and how we act. And now with the confidence of children of God who is one with us, who calls us to know and be still and know that God is God, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning we read from the Gospel of John, and I would ask that you would stand as it is read. When we stand for the Gospel, it's as if we are standing in the presence of Christ himself. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other things, other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I read that line, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, I think, ooh, that must have stung. <laughs> 
I think, poor Thomas, and I really do feel for him. All this faithful service to Jesus for all of these years, and, and it's wiped out by six verses. The guy has one moment of doubt, an understandable moment of doubt, and he goes down in history for being a skeptic and a non-believer, doubting Thomas. And you know, I bet even as I read this story just now, you probably thought, I cannot believe Thomas. What is wrong with him? This guy, you know. You know, John doesn't explain to us why Thomas missed the first gathering of the disciples. He simply says that Thomas was absent. We don't know what he was doing. He was, you know, dentist appointment, market, whatever. Um, but John writes, you know, but Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And of course, because of how this story is, is normally read or traditionally read, there's kind of a part of us that recoils when he says this. Because we think, how could Thomas doubt that Jesus was resurrected? What kind of disciple doubts the resurrection? We've been taught to scoff at Thomas, to, to shame him for his doubt. It's clear to us, of course, that we would never have doubted it. We would have believed the other disciples when they told us what they had witnessed. But I want to pause on our shaming of Thomas for just a moment because you know, there's a reason you should always read around a passage. You should read what comes before it. You should read what comes after it um, so that you can put it in context. It was not but a few verses ago that Mary reported that Jesus had appeared to her to the disciples. And they do nothing. John reports no reaction from them whatsoever. Now, he doesn't necessarily say that they didn't believe Mary, but it seems that they were not convinced. Because right after Mary announces this miraculous interaction with Jesus, John reports that when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house um, were shut, where the disciples had met, were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So where are the disciples? They haven't budged. They're still sitting in a, a house with the doors locked. They're, they're huddled together in the dark. They're not celebrating the risen Christ. They're still cowering in their post-crucifixion fear. In fact, it is not until Jesus comes and stands among them, saying, peace be with you, that, and shows them the marks in his hands and in his side that, that, that they finally see and believe in the res risen Lord. And poor doubting Thomas is ruthlessly shamed for his skepticism, while we conveniently forget that um, he did exactly what all the other disciples did. They, too, only believed after Christ appeared to them. They only believed after they saw his hands and his side. So maybe we should call them the doubting disciples. You know, what I really like about Thomas um, and I think that Christian history and tradition has, has really not valued this as it should. I've, he is so willing to be honest about his doubt. 
And he is, it is so powerful, especially to me as a modern reader. In our young adult group, we've been talking about how scary it is to admit aloud your doubts about scripture or God or, or faith. Because when you do that, in many spaces, it gets you labeled as unfaithful or even a heretic. Which these days, I kind of enjoy being called a heretic, but that's besides the point. Admitting our doubt too often means that we will lose our community. And in extreme cases, it can mean being completely cut off from our family and friends and everything that we have ever known. And I have heard people claim that shaming honest Christians for their doubt can be traced right back to Jesus himself. Because here in verse 29, when Jesus offered his side to Thomas as proof of his resurrection, he says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, according to this interpretation, Jesus means that we're supposed to believe without seeing, without proof. We are never supposed to doubt any aspect of our faith or any part of this story. Because doing so, I've heard, is um, like calling God a liar. God is not a liar. You know, after all of that, I hate to say it, but um, I doubt it. <laughs> I sincerely doubt that Jesus is shaming Thomas for his doubt. And I sincerely doubt that he's just blessing all those who didn't need to see to believe. Not only do we have to read around a passage when we interpret it, we need to read it in context of the entire gospel itself. Not only does there not appear to be a single person in this story who believed without seeing Jesus, we know from the many stories of Jesus that shaming people is not his style. Think back to example in chapter 8, the adulterous woman. The woman is caught in an act of adultery. She's pulled out into the street, and the law of Moses says to stone her. The accepted interpretation of her actions is to shame and punish her, but Jesus does not condemn her. He doesn't say a single word of shame to her. He kind of shames the crowd a little bit, or shames them into shaming themselves. <laughs> but he's gracious to her. That is who Jesus is. Our God is not a God of shame. Our God is a God of grace. So I really wonder if Jesus is truly shaming Thomas for his doubt in his, this text, knowing what we know about the other doubting disciples and what we know about the character of Jesus in general, I'm just not convinced that that is what Jesus is doing. It's a week later when Jesus appears amongst the disciples again, and this time Thomas is there. The doors are shut, of course. And yet Jesus comes to stand among them. And Jesus approaches Thomas right away. He says, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And as I read that, I detect no level of ridicule or shame in those words. I see a Messiah, a God who knows exactly what Thomas needs to heal him of his doubt. He offers his side, and he shows Thomas his hands as if to say, if you need it, 
Here. See the marks in my hands. Touch my side. And believe. If you need it, here. That's not about shame, that's about grace. Jesus gives Thomas the grace to doubt. It's not as if Jesus can't take it. It's not as if Thomas's doubt diminishes the truth of Jesus' resurrection or the power of it. Thomas is honest about his doubts, and God provides a way for him to explore his faith and find the truth of it for himself. And that is so remarkable to me. It's so awe-inspiring to serve a God who gives me the grace to doubt. Our God does not withdraw or recoil from us when belief is something that we can't muster. Our God leans in and offers the most intimate and vulnerable parts of God's self for us to examine. So I wonder perhaps if the statement, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, is kind of a wink to us, the audience an assertion for our benefit. Because we as modern people living thousands of years later, we don't have the benefit of seeing Jesus in the flesh. We cannot overcome our doubts by putting our finger in Jesus' wounded side or examining the marks in his hands. And I have met people who need to see to believe, who do not need to see to believe, who I truly wonder if they ever had a moment's doubt in their life. And I think, what a blessing that must be. To not have to doubt, to not have many questions. But that's not me. I'm a Thomas. I need more, and I have questions. And I don't think that's shameful. I think it is honest and genuine and real. I don't want to hide my true self, my most sincere wonderings from God. If God can offer God's self to me so freely, so compassionately, so vulnerably, I want to be brave enough to speak my questions aloud and bold enough to seek the answers I need to believe. What we learn from Thomas's story is not that there is no room for doubt or that having doubts about our faith is shameful. What we learn is that God gives us the grace to doubt and finds a way to lead us more deeply into relationship with God. God is a God of grace. And God always finds a way to bless us. Yes, even me, a doubter. And all of the doubters and all the believers said, Amen. I wanted to remind you once again that it's okay to be a doubting Thomas. God is not a God of shame. God is a God of grace. And God will help you to find a way to search your questions and find a faith that rings true to you. Go forth and bring God's blessing into the world. Amen.